Hey everybody, welcome to Hacking Into Security, your career-related cybersecurity show. I'm your host, Ricky Burke, the InfoSec recruiter, and regularly we'll be catching up with a variety of guests from CISOs, entrepreneurs, VCs, new people into the industry, and more. Each sharing their story, industry knowledge, and advice on how others can navigate success in their career. So sit back, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hey, welcome to the next episode of Hacking Into Security. I'm your host, Ricky Burke, and today we're joined by Brendan Syrup. Brendan, welcome on board. Hey, friends, how are we doing? So Brendan, or also known as SparkLops Online, he's a security or senior security advisor over at REA Group, been in the security industry for around five years in IT in total, or like 20. What I'm keen to do, having known Brendan for a few years now, I really appreciate his journey. Like a lot of people we speak to on this podcast, it's about highlighting different ways into the industry. And I think Brendan has got his own way, how he, I guess, made his way into the space. I'd love to hear more about that. So first of all, Brendan, question always is, who are you? All right. Well, like you say, I'm now currently a senior security advisor at REA Group which means I provide them with everything from governance, risk, and compliance to application security to SecOps. We sit broadly across pretty much the whole company and help direct security engineers, security analysts in in doing their work. I moved over to Melbourne last year. I'm still a trainee Australian, as it is. So majority of my time was, you know, born and bred in Auckland, New Zealand. My past there would have been, I've worked in sort of payments companies and very briefly, I ran a hardware sort of hacking team that did research into covert surveillance tech, GPS and vehicle telemetry. And sort of before that, I worked for a bunch of large MSSPs doing QA. The majority of my career has actually been in software testing and I pivoted into security working at a startup when my boss sort of looked at me and said, hey, we don't have a security resource. Would you like to start the security team? You'd have to leave behind QA, but, you know, what do you think? And, and, and of course, I absolutely jumped at it, and I'll explain. I'll explain a bit why, I guess, why I made that jump and everything else as we go on. But, yeah, that's sort of roughly roughly who I am in my, my history. Okay, awesome. So... I guess talking about that bit of your career, your manager asking you if you want to work in security, that's, uh, I guess, a a big part of maybe your journey now. I guess, how how did that actually come about and how did you feel about moving from QA into security with maybe not having much experience or knowledge? That's that's kind of of an interesting story, I guess. My, My manager was somebody who's known me in the tech industry for years. And when he started the company that we were working at, he picked all the people that he wanted to work with. So he hired all his friends and he brought me along to become the QA manager of of the company. And he's known me, like I say, for years. And he's known me from the hacker community, knowing that I was into hardware hacking, that I was going to all the security cons. I'd go to OWASP. I self-funded myself to trips to RuxCon and things like that over here in Melbourne, funnily enough. So he, he knows I've always been hacker and I've always been sort of interested in this in the security side of things. And I'd often push for security testing in part of what we did as QA because I didn't see it as something that should be left out. Like I say, he took me aside one day and he said, you have always been around KiwiCon, you've always been talking about hacking, about security and whatever else. 
and we need we need somebody to start the security function here at this company. I don't know how you feel. And to me, it was like all my Christmases had come at once. <laughs> because I had been trying to break into security for years and years and years. And the gatekeeping that was keeping me out was just things that I could never get on top of. I'd often apply for jobs in New Zealand and they'd say, oh, well, we really needed you to have a CISSP or why haven't you done CEH or, or, or whatever else it was at the time. And when I started out as a junior or a grad on a grad salary, people would give me advice like, well, what you need to do is you need to fly to the US, do these SANS courses. They're about seven and a half grand. <laughs> Good luck with that. And whatever else. And I'm, you know, I've, I'm like, that's great. I've just finished paying off the finance plan on my on my Toyota's gearbox for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you just, you just look at it and you go, this is just so out of reach. So I managed to be interested in security and and get that taste of what it was what it might be like to work in there through going to conferences and trying stuff in home labs and and whatever else so when my boss said well we're going to give you security responsibilities we're going to get you a mentoring from a virtual siso it was like wow. sign me up i just said print print go print the job contract he said you sure you don't want to go home and think about this because I had a very strong identity as somebody who was very passionate about QA. And what people didn't realize is I never really saw security and QA as separate things. It was like, why would you why would you build something with an intuitive UX that handles errors, has good uptime, but is, is leaking data like a sieve? I just never, you know, never really differentiated them. It was something I was very passionate about. So, yeah, I just said, look, fine. The thing that happened was they they sort of said, well, we're not going to have a security manager straight away and we're probably going to hire a CISO as you build the function out. So you would have to step down from being a, a senior manager to starting out as a security analyst. That was the only sort of thing, I guess, that they said, you know, you need to consider. You're ready to hop off that ladder and start climbing in. But I just said, yes, it's like, I'm absolutely ready for this because testing... I'd built a team of a good 30 engineers. We had great automation capability and we were shipping things through a CICD pipeline and dropping at least 10 to 12 builds a day. You know, I was really, really proud of the way we were shipping software and the way we're doing things. But I always felt like breaking was the easy thing to do. Breaking software and pulling it apart was very simple to me. And I was just bored of it. And what what I saw was when they said, hey, this is what you're going to be doing as a security analyst and this is what you're going to do as you know, some of the security engineering functions is like, okay, this is the first time in my career where I get to, get to become a builder. I get yeah. to fortify and defend and, and whatever else. It was, it was a conversation before where they sort of said, all right, we're going to you know, draw out the different dimensions of security that you can work in and see what kind of security animal you want to be. And they're like, are you interested in offensive security? And I was like, okay, what's what's that really entail? They're like, well, you know, you could become a pen tester. You could start doing pen testing here. And I was like, that sounds like what I do already. You know, they're like the governance, risk, and compliance is something that you'll need to need to get your head around. And I was like, okay, necessary evil, whatever else. I'll definitely look at that because our our company needed to be PCI certified, so there was going to be a bit of compliance work in there for me. But what really excited me was getting down in the tools and doing really good blue team work 
and making the company more resilient, more secure, and learning about the craft of incident response for when when things go wrong. So that's how it happened. It was just offered to me on on a plate. I didn't expect it. I was just taken aside and saying, do you want to enter the security industry? And it was like, yes, <laughs> absolutely. And then, so I started as a security analyst and worked my way up to security engineering and then doing sort of, I guess, AppSec consultancy compliance. And now I'm sort of here at a, at a senior level in the company doing all of those things and helping others along the way. You could say it's luck, but I mean, there's a lot of stuff you'd have done to have been given that opportunity. You true, mentioned true. obviously about the hardware hacking and I guess in terms of what were the things you were doing, I guess, in your spare time to help demonstrate and build up your skills and knowledge for people to look at you and, you know, your, I guess, manager to think that you have the potential to do that? Do you know what I, it, it's not what people, th- it's, it's one of the weird misconceptions about what it is that you sit in a home lab and you test away and you, and you spec up your tech skills. I did a bit of that. I'm quite fond of abusing mobile operating systems. That's, that's just something that I like to dabble with. And I still research on mobile security today. I don't haven't really published anything yet. The thing that got me there was understanding that security is a team sport. And it's just one component of a software engineering outfit, right? And what I saw traditionally was security teams that operate in a silo or a very, very specialist function and kind of dispense their wisdom <laughs> at, at the end of things. And I could see that with teams being agile and the shift left of, of QA and testing, that it was all one giant big system, right? And shorter feedback loops and people working together tighter was what was going to make anything one, be it DevOps, SRE, security, you know, good tech leading. It just doesn't matter. It's all about all about working tighter. So I spent my time outside the security function learning what other people do. And I mean, you know, I, I like I say, I've been shipping software for some 15 years, but to the audience, I'd ask, how well do you really know the product function in your company and how they choose what gets built and how they interface with the executive? How well do you know your sales pipeline, how well and how closely related are you to your ops team and your ops function and then and their needs? And I think what was recognized in me is that I was somebody who, especially at the company Pushpay, I'd worked in when I was a QA manager, I would hot desk around all the teams. You know, I'd work with marketing people. I'd really focus on what product people were doing so that they we understand each other's value and that sort of thing. And I went to their meetups and their some of their conferences out, wow. out again outside my job function. So what management saw was like, here's a guy who gets security, but also understands our business and understands the outcomes and whatever else. I had a wide and a fairly deep T if you've if you've heard that analogy before. And they're like, okay, you know, here's somebody who's not gonna sit in a silo and, and launch missiles, he's gonna he's going to work with all the other parts of the business to get the right security outcomes. And I think that's what, what really got me across the line. So a nice depth and breadth of skills there. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm a product expert and I wouldn't say I'm, you know, a, a fully qualified ops or SRE person, but I have an appreciation for what they do. I have empathy for their struggles. Like I've sat in an SRE team and seen incidents cook off and, and whatever else. But that's honestly what makes me as a security person in the blue team I'm actually able to help them. You know, that's, I, think that's, I think that's the point. It's like you don't – what I'm saying, I guess, to, to the listeners is you don't have to go ultra, ultra deep and go reading, you know, various agile training things or product manager type things to understand product people. But just getting – an understanding of how they operate and what they value and how to meet their needs is what will really take you places. And do you think that's what's helped your career, sort of understanding where they're coming from and having that appreciation? Right. Again, and I'm just going to, I'm going to really drive it home. It's a team sport. (laughs) You can't function well shipping software if everybody operates in isolation without empathy for what each other do, especially in security. Yeah, massively. You mentioned about going to, to meetups and presentations and stuff. And, and to be honest, that's how you come onto my radar a couple of years ago or so now. So 2018 was a pretty big year for you, I think. Yes. I, I think I did six conference talks from being somebody who didn't do conference talks. <laughs> I had a friend bend my arm and said, you should be, you should be sharing some of your experiences. Like, ah, oh, no, I'm boring. Blue team stuff is boring. No one cares. And so he sat me down at the pub. He's like, look, no, you, you, you do have value. You just, you just don't know it. You don't know how to condense it into a talk. So I went home that night and applied to talk. I think it was B-Sides Perth. Uh, you know, I wrote out a synopsis, proofread it, sent it off in the morning. And then I got accepted. I was like, oh, my God, what have I done? <laughs> so I hurriedly built a talk about gearing for our pen tester friends. I remember. Sort of looked at the interplay between engineering teams, not understanding how to work with pen testers and maybe some of the assumptions pen testers have about how engineering teams hang together. And it just read really well. Like I just got overwhelmingly good feedback. And that was because I did, I was panicking so much that I, (laughs) I wrote the talk and I rehearsed it lots at home. And then I did it at a local New Zealand meetup called ISIG, which is the, the rebranded 2600 meetup. And I was like, right, I'll do it there. And if I flame out and make a complete embarrassment for myself, then I'll just ring B-sides and <laughs> pretend I'm ill. I don't know. <laughs> but so the, the, first, the first meetup went really well. I had some good feedback from some really senior people in the industry that I really respect. Like some of my mentors turned up. And met me afterwards and were like, hey, that's really good. This is a good message. You know, you should go through with it. So I did B-Sides and Chicon and Pipplecon. And and I was back for OWASP AppSec Day in, in Melbourne as well. Funny how I keep turning up to Melbourne, isn't it? Yeah, I know. It was inevitable. I, I, <laughs> yes. I really like I, you know, I really like it here. So that was that was the that was the first one. And then off the back of that. It was like, okay, can it, you know, was this just a was this just a once off? And do I have anything else remotely interesting to share with the share? <laughs> I've been working really hard on teaching engineering teams to threat model. And I I've come up with a way that really works. Like gets real traction with non-security people and is uh, is inclusive. So I 
talked at a few conferences about that system and in 2019, early 2019, B-Sides Melbourne, I brought that over. And just so happens that our SISO, Craig Templeton, was in the crowd and liked what I was, <laughs> liked how I was doing things. And that's kind of how I ended up at REA Group. That's awesome. I was on before the, on before the SISO panel. So a bunch of SISOs were there and, you know, he apparently said to us some of the stuff, like, find out who that guy is because I want him to work here. So here we are. Wow. That worked out well. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was amazing. And I didn't know Craig and I didn't know REA group very well. I got to sit down and I saw Craig on the SISO panel and thought, man, I want to work for that guy. Yeah, It was, it was, it was really, really good. You know, just couldn't have been better, really. He's a very open and transparent guy. Craig's amazing. Time for a quick break. I'm Ricky Burke. In my full-time role, I'm the founder and director of CyberSec People, a leading cybersecurity recruitment company where we support organizations across the US and APAC in hiring cybersecurity talent. Through our connections and reach into the security community, our deep industry knowledge, we save organizations time when hiring. We have a 98% success rate and a three-year track record that demonstrates we only have to send on average two applicants to find success. If your organization is hiring, reach out as we'd love to discuss what that means for you. In the meantime, thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of the podcast. So, and that's, to us, you've nearly answered the question already, actually. The question I was going to ask is around conferences. I guess, what sort of impact do you think that made? I know that's obviously obvious with the job at REA Group now, but I guess as someone who like you say, hadn't done many presentations before, especially security ones, suddenly doing six in a year across the big conferences, Australia and New Zealand. How do you think that helped your your personal brand or sort of you as a professional? I mean, there's two parts to that. I guess I'm going to go right, right back to start then. So the, some of the things that were really good was when I was working with our virtual CISO, named Laura Bell. She runs a consultancy in New Zealand called SafeStack. Yep. She would pair with me like a day or two a week. Nice. And she helped teach me some of the fundamental values about how I operate as a security person. One of which mainly was, you know, not saying no to people and not being the department of no. So if somebody comes up to you with a bit of a bad idea and says, oh, hey, I want to I want to point this gun at my foot and pull the trigger, you say, oh, you could. <laughs> you could do that. Or we could do something else. And, you know, the first time I said no to somebody with like a well-rationed security response, she was like, right, now get out of your chair and follow them and go help them succeed. And I've never forgotten that. And it's something that I, that I, you know, I thought about and took to heart. And the foundation of a lot of what I'm talking about at conferences is not super technical. I'm not dropping incredible security research. I'm talking about how we treat other people when we work together and how we bring security into what we do. And I think that's something that hasn't been talked about a lot. And it's resonated with a bunch of security people and developers and engineers to being like, hey, maybe the way we treat security is a bit ad hoc. Maybe it's at the end. Maybe we don't understand each other well enough. And I feel like as a personal brand, people are like, this is somebody who works in the blue team who really genuinely cares about security, but is also, you know, at the same time being a good educator. 
and being somebody who provides security outreach and gets the security culture to ripple. And that's massively important, right? Like a lot of when I hear panels at security conferences or podcasts and people are saying, what is it that gets me into security? What is it that, you know, my security manager or CISO is looking for? And a fairly common message I get across the board from that is like, so you don't need to be an expert in Palo Alto firewalls or AWS versus Google Cloud. It's like, that is the stuff that if you're a competent technology professional, you can be taught, right? You can go on courses, you compare, you mentor, but you can't teach people to have empathy for the other job roles, to understand the wider business, to, you know, these sort of things. And it's one thing to live those values out, but when you can get up on stage and say, hey, here's a bit of the problem and here's how I fixed it, and here's how you can go away and fix it, that's really powerful, right? Like, it's, it's incredibly powerful. So I think that's what has helped me personally make a lot of connections and present a lot of value to people that want to employ me. What was it like presenting at a conference, particularly your sort of first one on, I guess, a non-technical topic? It was a huge rush. So I'll tell you the story of my first one at B-Sides Perth. By the way, shout outs to B-Sides Perth. It's absolutely an amazing conference. And if you're an Aussie, definitely take the time to head out to Perth and support them because they're amazing. I told them that I was nervous. I told them that I knew and they just were like, no, you can do this. You know, your synopsis is good. To, you know, we sort of talking the night before, like, oh, we've well, already done it at a meetup. Like, it's 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 no different. I spent a good two and a half hours in the speaker room, just absolutely stressing beforehand, and then hit the stage, and just this rush of rush of adrenaline hit me, and I flew through it. And it took me a while to come down after that. People sort of came up afterwards, like, hey, it's really interesting the way you're talking about pen testing and whatever else. I was like, uh uh-huh, I want to go lie down. What I recognized after doing that was I had actually been preparing those slides for two months. I'd rehearsed it in front of a smaller audience and I'd started small and worked up to that, which helped me really iron out all the bugs and really do a successful pitch. The other thing was I'm talking about stuff that I do for a living and stuff that A, I've seen annoys me and B, I've fixed. There are things that I would not go and go and talk about that I, you know, that I do that I'm not super comfortable with. But in terms of like getting engineering teams working with QA people and testers and engineers better, I've been doing that my whole life. (laughs) You know, like absolutely been doing it my whole life. So it was a fairly natural sort of thing to do. I guess like first time you're going to have lots of nerves. That's healthy. But don't underestimate the prep work that goes into something that you see up on stage. I've you know I've seen talks where people, or you you see people on Twitter are like, "Haha, I'm going to write my slides the night before and have a few whiskeys and whatever else." And like I'm telling you what it shows when you see somebody who just has white slides, back times German font, and you go, uh, "Okay," and it, you know it's not like the content's good, but it's not super engaging. I had a few gags in mind, you know, a few few memes and things, but it was like one or two sort of gags between a large, large volume of fairly punchy content and slides. And I tested the odd joke out to make sure that they actually funny and worked and continually, continually read the slides in front of TV and myself 
to make sure that the points were were really well articulated and short and punchy. And that prep work held me in good stead. I think if I hadn't done that, I'm not sure I would have been as confident, nor would I have been able to carry the message as clearly as I did. There was months of prep work involved in getting that first talk right. Sounds worthwhile, especially on the back of that year that you had. And it's funny how these things, again, you, we can't always plan the journey, the exact journey. We, we, we might want to know where we end up or have a goal, but obviously you being at REA today in the position you're in and who would have thought you'd be in that role because of a presentation you did at B-Sides Melbourne? That's right. That's absolutely right. Well, I, I did when I did the B-Sides talk, I knew that I wanted to move here. I knew that's where I wanted to be. And as I was walking up on stage, the nervousness, the voice in my head said, this is your, this is actually a bit of a job interview for you. <laughs> I knew the community that I cared about, yeah, that I wanted to connect with were in that room, mm. probably. Right? Like the people that are really, really passionate about security, the ones who will invest in doing a weekend at B-Sides to connect with others, to share ideas and, and whatever else. So... I treated that one particularly like a bit of a self, you know, sort of marketing exercise and like, right, this, not, not that I was doing self-promotion. I was like, this needs to be good. This needs to be really good and really punchy and, and really deliver some actionable learning for people to think I'm sort of worth, worth listening to. That makes sense. Obviously, that's then you'll be spoken about now. And I guess what does the future hold for someone who started more on the sort of QA side of things, built out security and compliance and application security and more. Out of interest, what does that look like for you? In terms of where I'm heading with security? Yeah. Okay. I've, again, through studying other product functions, I've come to start really getting interested in product people and what they do. And I've come to realize product people are the ones who decide what gets built. And there's this kind of hierarchy and structures all below that before it reaches an engineering team. And then the engineering team's like, right, you're going to do this. It doesn't matter matter how you're going to do this. This is is what you're building. Because it's got all the business drivers behind it and whatever else. And I've noticed that there's no security people in, well, there's not no security. I'm just not, I'm not aware of, a strong security representation or function in the product side of things. So I am investigating moving into product out of the blue team and becoming a security expert in in the product side of things. So that looks like security liaison and delivery management of security initiatives. Okay. I think it's, it's kind of like the next logical it is the next logical progression for me is I went from QA to saying, hey, we never include security in any of the QA work we do. I look at a lot of agile teams and they just ship feature, 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 and they don't get time to do maintenance. They don't get time to utilize any of the good tooling and stuff that their platform like AWS provides and will work with their ops people. And they really don't get a lot of time to work on security or look at their vulnerability scans or whatever else. And that's because the person that's deciding how they spend their time is shipping shiny new features for the business, nothing else. Which, you know, I understand that's the primary primary driver for whatever, whatever it is that their business exists. But I feel like 
I've been building software long enough and I've been working in security long enough that I can now move into a product role and say, look, having security built into your product and the way it ships and the way you manage data and the fact that it be it compliant and all that good stuff, that's part of the product. We can't continue to ship stuff or be bringing in security then like it's like it's waterfall. So I'm talking about moving in that direction, which is, you know, it's, it's quite a thing for me because I worked very, very hard to get a job in the blue team. And there is uh, certainly some reservations about leaving early or maybe wanting to spend a bit longer. But I think with the skill set that I have and my experience, I have a lot to offer the product side of the business as being their security expert to help them build that into what they do. So that's what I'm looking at. That's what I think the future is for me. Sounds like you're going full circle. Right. <laughs> I'm going to say it again. It's a team sport. <laughs> but it sounds like you can actually, I guess, make or have even bigger influence in that sort of position from a security point of view. Bingo. That's what I'm saying. The product people decide what gets built. Yeah. To be honest, I see a lot of those roles in the US. Again, we do follow the US or maybe we're just behind in different ways. But like, there's someone I know that is working for a US company over here that's in product security. And it seems like it's it's becoming more and more often or frequent. But it's, I guess we've got a lot of catching up to do in many ways. But it makes a lot of sense, to be honest. There's, there's no accident, though. I mean, go back to developers and engineers, for example. I have walked into organizations and said, who's heard of the OWASP Top 10? You know, one of the, one of the things to give people, have you heard of the OWASP Top 10? Are you checking your code for the OWASP Top 10? Maybe one or two hands go up. Wow. And we go, why is nothing getting better? What, what, who are we to blame for this? It's, <laughs> engineers have had so much lumped on them in the last five or so plus years with like, I now see engineers just being expected to also nail monitoring, logging the AWS side. Like it's it's been lumped into it as well. And this is why so many cloud environments are an absolute dog's breakfast. And people go, oh, why the engineers aren't getting right? Because no one taught them. No one taught them. And if you're really lucky, you know, your company's, Gets a technical account manager and then whatever else, and they go through the go through the basics, and then maybe things slightly improve. Security is no different. So for us to go, well, why do people only bring security in at the end? Or why does it look like security is barging in? Because the product people don't understand that nuance, and it's not because they're stupid or reckless. They don't come to work every day to ship bad product. They just they just don't understand. And I see how stressed out they get over a simple thing like oh, well, you know, compliance says we've got to have a pen test. And they're absolutely strung up about it because they've got no idea of what's going to happen and all they see is an imminent threat to their delivery, right? How easy is that for us to change? It's just about, again, stepping outside of what we know and helping people, I guess. So I think, you know, there's a lot of a lot of low-hanging fruit that can make life really really good for everybody else because of course that will trickle down to the engineers if the product people go okay well i want you to ship a secure product so i'm going to give you time to do it you know <laughs> it's, it's it's becoming a thing because it should become the thing well i think it makes sense yeah look look forward to seeing how yourself and to be honest many others over the i guess the coming years will make that transition as well because as we've seen other roles 
mature in this industry, security is becoming part of those functions. And if you can bring that sort of rounded knowledge, then that, that's only good for businesses. 100%. Well, I'll tell you what, when I get a bit further down the track and have some reflections we're talking about, you might might see me again back on stage at a B-Sides or something having a chat about it because I think that sounds good. good conversation. Well, hopefully we actually get to do those back in real life again. Yes, exactly. Cool. Well, Brendan, thank you so much for your time and thank you for sharing your journey. It's been my absolute pleasure, Rahe. Thanks. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening. And if you've got any questions, comments, please reach out to me. You'll find me online anywhere, CyberSec, Ricky. And if you would like to be involved in the future, maybe be a guest and then reach out as well. Thanks for your time. Have a great day. Bye.